Um, and if you would open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, this is a new series we started after Easter. I'm excited about this, the book of Galatians. Um, you'll find it near the end of your New Testament. I've always remembered the go eat popcorn. You know what I'm talking about? If you can't remember the Bible books, when you get to the letters, it's First and Second Corinthians, and then go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you go. Uh, that sounds like we worship kind of stuff there. I would encourage you over the next t- uh, time we're studying this book, read it once a week. It's not very long. Frankly, in about 15 or 20 minutes, I think you could read the entire book. And if you do that every week for the next month or so, uh, you will know this letter pretty well. You'll know the connecting points we're trying to make on Sunday mornings, and I think you'll be encouraged by it. I have two ways to introduce this this morning, this letter. Um, the first is by asking you this question. If you've ever fired off an angry email, phone, made a phone call, made a Facebook post or a tweet, you uh, maybe had you given some more thought, you wouldn't have done that. Um, some have argued that what Paul did with Galatians was kind of like that. He was, uh, it's very terse. Like this letter, unlike most of his letters, it's not very lovey-dovey. He doesn't praise them for anything. He is right to the point. In fact, in chapter 4, he says, if I become your enemy by telling you the truth. Like he is to the point on this thing. And it's because it's a great um, issue, which is the gospel itself. He is confronting false beliefs about what it means to be saved and he wants to be direct and to the point there and he's um he has some personal um thoughts in this because he's being disregarded as the person that taught that to them and so there's some there's a lot going on here the other thing and i I just just dawned on me as i put this in my my mind walking up here we used to have a thing called a rough draft do you remember those when you were in some of us are old enough in school where you actually typed a paper and then you used whiteout and red ink, and then you retype the paper. And now it's all on computer and Google Docs and all that kind of stuff, and it just stays up the beat. It tells you squiggly lines as you're doing it wrong as it's happening. And so I don't know if that's better or worse. But some have argued that Galatians is, in some ways, a rough draft of the book of Romans. Romans is a beloved book, much lengthier but many of the key elements of Romans are found in the book of Galatians, specifically what is the gospel? What does it mean to be saved? What did Jesus do for us? Is it enough? And so Galatians is viewed that way. Martin Luther famously loved the book of Romans, but he said he was married to the book of Galatians. He called it his Catherine. That was his wife. He says, I am wedded to this like no other book. And so with all that in mind, we're going to start who knows how long this will take we're going to get through probably about five verses today i'm going to jump into verse six and seven just so you can get a feel for it but let's read together starting in verse one paul an apostle sent sent not from men nor by a man but by jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in galatia Grace and peace to you from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of, the, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. 
And I want to put a phrase up here. This is, this is what I think the book is all about. So go ahead and flip to the next slide. I've summarized a couple verses here. I think this is the core. If you Google uh, Galatian sermon series, okay? Um, that's not what I did, by the way. I didn't, I'm not just doing that. But almost exclusively, the titles are No Other Gospel or Set Free. Some sort of, Galatians is called the Christian Declaration of Independence. We're free from the law. But I think, and it's not quite as catchy, I suppose, but in blue, live in the grace of Christ, I think is what Paul's trying to get at here. And so I think this is the purpose of the book. If I'm following my notes, hopefully every week we will see this. But just, we're going to meditate just on this thought for a second. When we say meditate on scripture, we don't mean, you know, get out the smelling salts and all that kind of stuff. Just let it go through your brain. And so Jesus gave himself for our sins. He died for us as sinners, right? To rescue us from something. And we're going to look at this today and next week. From this present evil age, okay? So Jesus died for our sins with a purpose in mind to rescue us from this present evil age. And he's called us into something, and that's to live in the grace of Christ. Not just be saved by the grace of Christ, which we are, but to live in that. So it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different understanding of who we are in Christ. Okay? Again, this, man, I don't, I don't got tattoos, but if I got one, this might be on top of the list right now. Okay? We are saved from our sins because Christ gave his life to us. We're rescued from something called this present evil age so that we can live in the grace of Christ. Okay? Let's pray. God, that little phrase that um, Paul wrote, inspired by you, I just I pray, God, that it sinks in. Um, I pray that we understand it as, as richly as we can. And we would do exactly what it calls us to do, live in the grace of Christ. God, thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for rescuing us from this present evil age and calling us to live in that grace. It's for Christ's name and for his honor we do this. Amen. Well, a lot of introductory stuff when you start a new book, and so that's what we'll do. Point one is the letter to Galatia. And you see right there in verse one, it's the churches in Galatia. He's written as what's called a circular letter. It's, there were several churches. Remember, we just studied the book of Titus. Titus is mentioned in this book too. And there were several cities and several churches on the island of Crete. There are also several churches here, so this circular letter would have been written to all of them, and it would have been passed around um, churches like Antioch that you've heard of, and Lystra, and Derby. some of those churches are on this list. Well, who's writing this? So point A is the apostle. He says, Paul, an apostle, and he's sent. That's exactly what an apostle is. An apostle is somebody with the authority of the people or the person that's sending them. So if you're an apostle of the Roman government, you might be just a low pay level guy, but the, the general said this, and if I told you the general said that, you better listen to what the general said. And what Paul is saying, he's an apostle. An apostle, strictly speaking, in the New Testament sense, was people that had lived and seen Jesus' ministry. They had witnessed his crucifixion and, more importantly, his resurrection, and they had been sent by Christ, the risen Christ, to go into the world and preach the gospel. The problem with Paul, and it would be highlighted, and that's why he defends himself in this, is that he didn't go along the same training. He was persecuting the church while that was happening. He was not a follower of Jesus Christ 
during the days of Jesus' ministry. He was persecuting the very people that were. In fact, he was very high up in the Jewish ranks. He was a Pharisee. He was well taught. And again, persecuting what was going on. And so what you have here is a man, an outsider, if you will. And the apostles seem to, the disciples, um, accept him for what he was. And he spells some of that out in this book. Um, he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Peter would go uh, in another direction, and they actually get into it in this letter a little bit. There's a disagreement with them. But what was happening was Paul was an apostle, and people were coming in behind him, other Jews, that probably, they probably used to share cubicles together. I mean, they, he was one of those Pharisees that disagreed with just the free grace that Christ offered. And so after he would go to a place... A Jewish Pharisee, we call them the group of the circumcision, we learned this in Titus, or the, the legalizers would come in, and they say, yes, you need to accept Christ, but you also need to obey the law of God. Specifically, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow some of these rituals, and then yes, Christ saves you, but that's how you get in the club. Well, Paul has changed his tune. And so you have, if you can picture this, Paul going into a town saying, you Jew or Gentile, I don't care what you've done. You are freely forgiven because of what Christ did for you. It's all grace. You don't have to work for it. In fact, that, that law led us to this point, but you don't need it anymore. And then you have other people coming and say, and, and, and again, these are, these are religious people. They're not, I don't, I think they think they're doing the right thing, but they say, yeah, that's just not quite enough. And you know that Paul, he's not really one of you. He used to kill you guys. And he got run out of town, and, and, and we've been chasing him around. Here's what's really going on. And by the way, these Jews that are saying this, they're like with the credentials Paul has. We know the church in Jerusalem. We hang with those people. We're, we're there meeting with them. We're telling you that the story he's telling you is not quite right. How could he tell you something that all of us disagree with? Right? You've got the weight of the religious... I don't want to even say leaders, but the professionals, the, the authorities saying, he's, he's wrong. We're right. You're not going to disagree with all of us, are you? The problem is, for them, Jesus and the word of God said something different. And there's a, there's a temptation, and Luther, if you know the history, Luther was fighting against the Roman church, right? And he would take shots at the Roman church, and I think rightly so at this, because he'd say, they're saying the same thing about me, Luther would say. I'm telling you, you're saved by grace. And they're saying, the church has always believed this. That Luther guy's wrong because everybody you know that wears all the fancy stuff, we're telling you it's this way. And Luther, you know, you know the story there, I think. Or, and so he's running into the same thing. Luther finds himself in, in Paul's journey. So Paul says he's an apostle. Well, how do, who do you think you are would be their retort, you know. And so point B is, the authority. What authority does he have to say the law is no longer necessary, that it's all of grace? Well, verse 1 goes on to say, I was sent not from men, okay, so I don't have, the, I don't have all the religious leaders sending me, nor by a man, so not one person like, you know, commissioned me to do this, speaking human man but by Jesus Christ and God our Father. And if you know Paul's story, remember that on the Damascus Road, Jesus visits him and says, why are you persecuting me? 
you'll realize that he was taken up into the third heaven, that he had some special training that was different than the apostles. And while the other apostles actually saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ and saw him resurrected, Paul also did, but in a different fashion. He would say, I think it's in this letter, I am one abnormally born. That I, I came about this a different way. Now, I'm sorry, that's in 1 Corinthians. I came about this a different way, but I have the same authority they have because it's not some commissioned group. It's Jesus himself and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he's got that. I do know the, ra- the resurrected Christ, everything we celebrated and talked about last, last week. I have that authority, okay? So he's, he's defending himself here because what's at question is the gospel and again, do you believe what Paul says about this or do you believe what the legalizers or legalists say about this? And so he's defending, I have the right to tell you this. In fact, I, sp- I think he says I have some special, um, you know, uh, insights, because, not secrets, but I, I learned it a different way. I talk to Jesus too. And, and this is what I get from him and from the scriptures. And then he goes on to say, and the brothers and sisters with me, um, He's not totally alone. In fact, he'll, he'll mention in other places in the, in the book that he went and talked to some of the apostles. And uh, he, he's not alone on this. He's not a lone voice that there's other people that they could talk to that would verify what he says. Well, the audience, so that's point C, are these churches in Galatia. Again, it's a circular letter. And as I've already mentioned, it's a, it's a pretty sharp letter um, to the point. He would say, and, and this is why it's so important that they are turning away from the gospel. And if you can read on with me, look down at verse 6 and following. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are, re- and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Okay, And I, I'll get into this more probably next week. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Okay, there's different ways to say that. We'll get into that, but those are not nice, pretty words. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody preaches to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And if you can flip over to chapter 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. And here's the phrase. If righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He's, when he says a different gospel, he's not saying kind of tweak here and there. It's apples and oranges, okay? It's not a new, uh, it's not gospel 2.1 or what, anything like that. It is another gospel. And it's not just vitriol where he says, let them be eternally condemned if they don't believe this. They are eternally condemned if they don't believe this. Understand this, that if you believe anything but the gospel, you are under God's curse. Because the law says you must keep every jot and tittle of it or you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And Christ paid that penalty. All right. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, Verse Point D is the aim. Why is Paul writing this letter? What's the purpose of this letter? Verse 3. Grace and peace to you 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's certainly a, uh, another example of Jesus being God and divine and, and all that. But I want you to get the two words, and we cover these a lot because Paul puts them in almost all his letters. This, frankly, is like the nicest thing he says in this letter. He doesn't, again, pat him on the back. But he says grace, which is the Greek word. Um, think charity, okay? It's the word cherish uh, or, uh, in, in Greek. And it means, uh, you know what charity is? You're given something you don't deserve. You can't earn. You can't make it. God gives us charity. He's, he's a God of grace. That's what most of this letter is about. And then the Hebrew word is shalom, which is peace, everything in its proper place. And take a deep breath because everything's the way it should be. And every time I see those two words, I think you cannot have peace unless you have grace. That's exactly right. Until you have the grace of God in your life, you will not have peace with God. So you can have the peace of God, but you can also have peace with God because of the grace of God. And so we can go round and round on that. But what Paul says in this aim is, I want you to have grace, and I want you to have peace with God and of God. And he says, so that you can be rescued and called into to live in this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which gets us to point two, is to live in grace. And, and I'm glad I have two weeks to cover this, because I am still wrestling with it in the sense that the full weight of it I don't think has even landed on me yet. What does it mean to live in the, in the grace of Christ? That that's just our attitude, that's our reality, is that we are walking, we are saved, we are living in the grace of, of Jesus Christ. And so he spells it out a little bit in verse 4 and then in verse 6 and 7. But So let's start with verse 4, and this is point A. We are redeemed from sin. Verse 4 says, he gave himself for our sins. Okay? This was the Good Friday service. Jesus died for our sins. I always feel obligated to do this, and not because it, it's catchy, but it condemns all of us what I'm about to do. Because you might be saying, well, maybe I've messed up a little bit, but I'm not, I don't have sin. Maybe you define it differently. Uh, maybe you say, I don't have that much sin. But I, remember, sin is more than just one thing. And, and again, in my mind, Romans 3 talks about this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a target. It's perfection. All of us can aim at it all we want. We're never going to hit a bullseye. All of us fall short of God's perfect perfection. The mo I guarantee you, waking up today, between then and now, you have sinned and not living with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, all to the glory of God, every minute, every breath. I guarantee it, okay? Secondly, sometimes we do things we should not do. So some, sometimes we miss the target. Sometimes we go across the line God told us not to go. We do things we're told not to do. Or we don't do things we are told to do. So we disobey. And the third way is, even when we do right, we're perverted, so perverted that our righteous acts are filthy rags. Even on my good day, I don't live up to everything I'm supposed to because even on my goodness, I'm, I'm not quite perfected. I'm sin, sinful. Jesus gave himself for all of that. He paid the price for that. The price of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve condemnation. And he paid for it. He paid the bill in full. We got to eat out yesterday with my in-laws and they picked up the check. I didn't pay for my burrito, right? Jesus, you don't have to pay for your sins. Jesus picked up the bill. He, he picked it up. 
Romans 4.5, God justifies the ungodly. Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. That's it, scot-free. Okay? Now, the people that argue with Paul say, and it's, and it's us too, surely I'm good enough to earn something with God. That's pride and that's self-righteousness. The answer is no, we're not. Okay, we have sinned and luckily Jesus has redeemed us from sin. Both the penalty of sin and what he's going to get into is even the power of sin. That that we no longer have to live under the law, nor do we have to live under sin in our life. Now we do, but we have the power of the resurrected Christ to help us live a different kind of life. So we're redeemed from sin. Point two, or B, is we are rescued from the system. And I want to read this phrase and then we'll try and make some sense of it. To rescue us from the present evil age. All right. This is, um, this is going to hit closer to home than you want it to. At least it does for me. I almost put there rescued from ourself. Because when I first read the present evil age, I think, good, finally Paul and somebody's getting after all those numbskulls out there. Our world has fallen, it's broken down, and it's about time we get rescued from it. And when I picture rescued, I picture God's going to swoop down on his divine helicopter and just get me out of this place. That's not what this is talking about. Pre- present in that verse means what's happening right now, okay? Evil, you can make that up, you know what that means. Age. We live in this present evil age. Until Jesus returns and makes everything perfect, we live in this present evil age. And I'm not joking when I said it's not just the system out there. It's you and me. Part of living in this present evil age is the age I am, which is I'm not perfect either. And so the phrase that often comes up, and this is where we'll probably land this morning. Or I don't want to promise too much here. But the, the phrase that you've probably heard, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is this present evil age. Now, let's back up for a second. What does it mean to be rescued? I want you to imagine this. To be rescued literally is to be rescued from danger. Okay? It's not just a change of mind. It means you're in danger. It's used elsewhere in the, in the Bible about the Egypt, or sorry, the Israelites being, or the, I think even the babies being rescued out of of, of the Egypt when they were killing all the babies. It's, it's used of some of the apostles when they were rescued away from the angry mob. Meaning if you're not rescued, you're going with it. And the present evil age then, I think, falls into these three things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And I want to read a couple passages to kind of put handles on that. Ephesians 2. This is verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So when you hear world, I want you to think of just the the general current that the world is going in, okay? And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's the devil. So you have the world and the devil there, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That's the the flesh. You have the world, the devil, and the flesh all in that passage. And Paul goes on to say, like them, we were by nature's deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He's telling the Ephesians the same thing he's telling the Galatians. In James, James would write this, if you harbor bitter and envy selfish ambition in your heart, the flesh, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and unspiritual. That's the world, and it's demonic. That's the devil. So we have three enemies. We have, th- we have three things we need to be rescued from. The world. Think again of the, the a current of a river. If you do nothing, okay, if you just coast through life, spiritually, I mean, you will drift away from God. You will drift away from holiness. Think of media, think of public opinion, think of what's popular today, what's accepted today. If you just go with the flow, you will flow from God, okay? I expect a lot of acknowledgement here. You understand what I'm saying there. But here's the problem is we leave it there and we say, yeah, I just got to get out of the world. Now, here's just a little math equation for you. You have 160, 86 hours each week, okay? Hopefully you're here for a couple hours on a Sunday and let's throw in an hour on Wednesday night. That, you're still at 185 hours during your week that you are being pulled in that direction, okay? So that's the world. Now we have the flesh and here's why the world works. Because my flesh likes what the world says, my natural self does, okay? And so that current goes, and have you ever been on a float trip or the lazy river or something like that? That's quite enjoyable. My problem is my, my sinful flesh desires things that don't honor God. And apart from the grace of Christ, I don't understand the things of God. And so unless I'm in the Word of God and around the people of God and asking God to to show me who he is and that kind of stuff, I'm just going to drift into that. It's scary today what even some churches are teaching. It's much like this. They're teaching things. Where do they get that stuff from? It's not from the word of God. And so if we're not careful, our flesh will fall right into this. And I could give you verse after verse. Think of Romans 7. I do not do what I want to do. But my flesh says do it, right? And so verse after verse talks about that we have evil in us in our unredeemed flesh that want to not honor God. We don't understand the gospel if we are not given new birth. And and so we have the world, the flesh, and then we have the devil. And by the way, back to the flesh, that's why we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We we have to fight against that, even in ourself. And we have the devil, who Paul would say to the Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms therefore put on the full armor of god peter would say this be alert and sober-minded for your enemy the devil prowls around looking for a lion looking roaring like a lion looking for someone to devour i read an illustration about this about world war ii about a guy that was in the philippines and they were in foxholes on the front line and they were relieved from duty and so they had to make their way away from the front line And as they began to retreat, sniper fire came on them. So somebody was watching them retreat. And so they all just ducked for cover and found holes and found ravines. But every time they tried to move, you know, that helmet pops up over the horizon and pew, there'd be a shot nearby. And so if they started to move right, there'd be, you know, they're getting shot at. And so this guy, and this is the story he 
put his helmet on a stick and he'd fake right and then he'd slide over a little bit. So he just, he literally inched his way away from that sniper that way. And the story is for this reason. The world, the flesh, and the devil, okay, don't want you living for Christ. They don't want you living free in his grace. And literally, those things are waiting for opportunities to pick you off. To, to hobble you, to stop you. We need to be in this. Jesus has rescued us from that. Okay, He's rescued us from this world. We are citizens now of heaven. We await a, a, a kingdom from there, right? He's rescued me from my flesh. He's given me new life. He's given me freedom from the law, but also freedom from the power of sin. I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. He's also given me victory over the devil and the fear of death and all the things that come with that. See, he has rescued us from this present evil age. And it's not just the helicopter to get us out of, you know, the 21st century. It's in our heart. It's all around us. He's rescued us from that. And so we can have the peace of God in in the midst of that. See, as we are released from slavery, and again, I wasn't going to get into verse 6 and 7, but I need to at least make the bridge, and then we'll get to point 3 real quick. And what Paul says is all that that I just kind of got on to you about, says, I'm astonished that you've so quickly deserted that. He says, you're traitors. That's the word there. You're deserters. And you're abandoning the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Okay? You're turning your back on what Jesus has created you to be, what he's called you to be. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Just a few teasers here, Romans eleven six. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. We'll see these next week. James 2.10, catch this. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. So we have the idea that God has like a thousand rules and we can, we can, as long as we get an 80% on the test, we're good. God has one law. It's like a seamless garment. It's like a mirror that gets a crack in it. If I showed up today and there was a big rip here, hopefully my wife would have said, don't wear that shirt today. Okay? The law. You've either kept it all or you've kept none of it. You've broken it all. The law requires perfect, not partial obedience. And Paul would tell the Romans, though, that every mouth would be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ if you're not going to read the whole book today this week go read chapter 3 verses 10 through 13 clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith the law is not based on faith on the contrary it says the person who does these things will live by them Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, everyone, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by our faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Point three, this is for the Lord's glory. This is not a self-improvement message. We are, Christ gave himself to, for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age so that we can live in the grace of Christ and as verse 4 and 5 say, 
This is according to the Father, the will of the Father, and it's for the glory of him forever and ever. Amen. Point A, the will of the Father, according to the will of the Father. This is why God created you. He created you to be forgiven of your sins, rescued from this world in all the ways I just mentioned it, and to live in the grace of Christ. That's why he sent Christ. That's why he offers him to you. And Paul would tell the Romans, the whole creation groans for it to be seen who we really are. And B is for the worship of the Father, verse 5, and to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I think we'll be great people if we do this. But it'd be Jesus' fault, right? People should say, because of Christ, those are good people. He gets the glory. There's no pride in this whatsoever. So how would you apply this, or how would I ask you to apply this? Let me give you three thoughts. Please make sure you're redeemed from your sin. Okay? You have, if you've done one thing wrong ever, you've broken the law of God. And the law either condemns you or it sets you free, and it can't set you free because you broke it. It was intended to bring you to Christ. You are right now, apart from Christ, if you've done one thing wrong in your whole life, according to God's definition of wrong, you stand condemned and hell awaits. Make sure that when Jesus gave his life, you accepted that, that he died for you. Give your sins to him. Secondly, are you rescued from, and here I did change it, from yourself? Listen, all of us want this world to be fixed, right? It, until Jesus comes back, we're living here, folks. What, the, what I do have some control over is what's going on in my heart. And I need to live for Christ and less for myself and all the things he tells us to do. And we'll explore that in the weeks ahead. But have you been rescued from yourself is the question here, from this present evil age? And are you released from slavery? Um, this is a little more hard to define, and we'll get into it. But what I mean by you are no longer a slave to sin. You do not have to do what your flesh tells you to do if Christ lives in you. And you're also a slave from the requirements of the law. It doesn't mean you can live a bad life now. It means you can do away with the shame and the burden of not always doing it right. There's, I see why people call this the Declaration of Freedom. I can live freely. I mean, I, I think of it this way. My, so Jackson, some of you know this, turns 23 years old today. My youngest son, my baby, is 23. Um, I guarantee you there were times in his life he didn't live like a fully mature human being. He, he'll love hearing this. He pooped his diaper, you know. He didn't walk and run right out of the bat. But man, we loved him. Because he was my son. Please hear this. If you are a child of God, I still want you to not poop your pants anymore. <laughs> I want you to walk and run. And God does too, but he loves you. He understands that Christ is being formed in you. And so being released from slavery... We, we don't have to keep the law to be saved. Amen. But when we don't keep the law, once we're saved, he still loves us. And we don't have to carry that burden. And back to the devil, 
That's exactly what he does. He entices you to sin, and then he accuses you the rest of your life. We are free in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you that you gave your life for our sin. And I pray for those here today that don't know forgiveness, that they would accept you as their Savior. They would understand their condemnation before you because they've broken parts of the law, if not most of the law. God, rescue us from ourselves. Help us to fight sin. Help us to say yes more to the Spirit and and less to the flesh. Help us to learn to walk, God, in 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 the grace of Christ. And God, release us from bondage and slavery. Free us from sin and free us from shame. Because God, this is your will. And this will bring you honor. So we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.
follow you This world has nothing for me I will follow you This world has nothing for me I will follow you This world has nothing for me Cause I need you Jesus Come to my rescue Where else can I go? rescuing us from this present evil age and calling us to live in the grace of Christ. We want to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. Don't forget if you're a member um, to vote on deacons. There's a station up here, up here, and in the lobby as well. So please do that. Vote once, right? No mail-in ballots.